Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Please be seated. Would you open God's book, please, to First Chronicles chapter 1? And I'll start there in just a couple of minutes, and may I just tell you how glad I am to see you here. Now, the first thing that I want to do is to mention to you that I have some dots on my face. And um, a number of people have asked me already about the dots on my face. And I have a lot of funny answers that I could give you, but I, I'll just go ahead and cut to the chase. And it's, it's a dermatologist thing, and it's, um, it's a treatment. Some of you have already had it in your life, and I have to have it pretty often because I had very, very red hair. And um, had a great childhood and played in the sun a lot. And that was, uh, that was nice, but I think there's some payment for that. And anyway, it doesn't hurt. And uh, I'll just make this commitment to you. If you'll forget about it, I'll forget about it. Okay, and then we'll go on with this sermon. I, I labored some over what to talk about today, being New Year's Eve. You always want, you know, as a preacher, you want to talk about fresh things and maybe some resolutions. And I, I've done that in the past. But what I wanted to accomplish is best accomplished, I think, in the first nine chapters of First Chronicles. Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to open up there. And for the next few minutes, shortly, I'm going to make an introduction to this sermon. As I do that, would you do me this favor? As I'm talking, you won't offend me. You go ahead and I want you just to let your eyes kind of scan through some of First Chronicles chapters 1 through 9. I need you to get that experience in your mind as we're talking about this. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you can listen, you can just use both sides of your brain as we're doing this. So just kind of scan through First Chronicles 1 through 9, and you'll know what it's about. It's a genealogy. And I, I suspect that of all the books of the Bible that have been overlooked through the centuries, First and Second Chronicles probably tops the list. And you know why as you're looking at it, because it is, it's a genealogy. This person had this son, and this son, and this son, and here are the sons that they had, and so-and-so begets so-and-so, and he begets so-and-so, and it goes on and on. And it's very, very difficult. If you're not Hebrew, to, to pronounce these names is laborious. I, I suppose, I've never really known of anybody to do this, I suppose you could take the time to where you could pronounce them accurately. I don't know if you'd get them right, or I'd get them right after doing that. But I don't believe that's the point of our having First and Second Chronicles in our Bibles. I want to talk about today why it's there. And in the process of that, 
I want to give us some things to think about in grounding us as the people of Israel had to be grounded, the people of Judah here had to be grounded as they launch into this new life. We're launching into a new year. In 586 BC, the the southern kingdom of Judah went into Babylonian captivity. The northern kingdom of Israel already been in captivity over a century. But the wickedness, it's... Eating the Lord's Supper today was, was a challenge for me because I have these things on my mind. The very idea that when you bring, God brings the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, you have probably a million of them, a tremendous number. And it, you trickle on down to you get to Acts chapter 2. And, and now all of that was preparation for the Messiah. And the Messiah comes and you have the launching of the church in Acts chapter 2. And how many people are baptized? Jews. They're all Jews. How many of them? 3,000. That's pretty small when you think about all these centuries prior to this and all that went into protecting and sustaining this Israelite nation. Okay, well, that plays into this. 586, northern kingdom's already in Assyrian bondage for over a hundred years, and now you go ahead and give up, God does. And Nebuchadnezzar then, uh, the Babylonians, comes in and he takes Jerusalem, and the temple is burned the walls are destroyed, Jerusalem's just destroyed, and they are taken captive. They go into exile. According to prophecy, 70 years later, Cyrus, who is emperor of, of um, Persia, thank you, the emperor of Persia releases them in three different stages to be able to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, now it gets very interesting because it's characteristic of the Chronicles. In this genealogy of the first nine chapters that we're, we're talking about this morning, it's focused. It's, it's so focused. It's not what you would think. You know, you've got this genealogy and all of these names, but these are not the names of Israel people. These are the names of the people of Judah. First and Second Chronicles is about Judah. Now, the reason is, as you develop it, this is about David. It's about the throne of David, and it goes through that and spends a good bit of time about that in the genealogy. Why? Well, because David is of the tribe of Judah, because the Messiah is going to come through Judah. And when you get to this point, the Chronicles is written, it's about these people coming back from that, that captivity in Babylon. Now they're coming back, they're rebuilding Jerusalem, and you have, you have Nehemiah, and you have Ezra's preaching, and all of that plays into this. The point is that now here we are. you got 3,500 years covered in that genealogy that you're looking at. Chapter 1 starts with Adam. And you go all the way till now they're, they're coming back and they're rebuilding Jerusalem. Now, what would you write to them? I mean, if you were the Holy Spirit, what would you want them to have? Look at Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 1. I want you to look to the rock from which you were hewn. I love that. Because that, now see, that is the point of this genealogy. I want you to remember where you came from. Now, this mentality is the opposite of what has been going on in America the last two, three, four years to destroy our historic monuments. This is opposite of that. This is to say, no, no, it is valuable for you to know your history. You need to know where you came from. And as Isaiah phrases it here, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. I want you to know where you came from. I want you to remember. And so this genealogy, are you ready for this? Starts back in Genesis with creation, and it's going to go all the way, 3,500 years, until now, 
when they're coming back to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, when they come back, it's not about, not about a king. God wasn't in favor of a king anyway in, in Israel to have a king. He was their king. It was not a monarchy. It was a theocracy. So when they come back now, it's not about, they're going to come back into Jerusalem and the first thing they just build us a, build up a castle with a throne for their king. That's all, that's all done. After this, you're not going to have another throne in Jerusalem, another, another Jewish throne in Jerusalem. They're done with all of that. And the first thing they build is not the wall. They're going to build the wall, Nehemiah, and you've read Nehemiah. They're going to build the wall, but that's not what they build first. What they build first is the temple. Because they've got to get grounded back to God. They've got to figure out that the most important thing in life is serving God. That's the secret of the genealogy. That's the point of the genealogy. Now, interspersed in in these names, it's like a Hebrew phone book. Interspersed in there are some lessons. Remember this person he said? Now, here's what happened with him. Now, I just want to walk you through a few of them, and then we're going to get to our six applications of this. Here's chapter 1 and verse 1. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Drop down to 15. I'm sorry, 19. Middle of verse. Peleg, for his days, in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Jokiah. Jokian. So that has reference to the Tower of Babel. So I'm going to start here. So he begins at the beginning and he says, these are characters. These are people that are part of your heritage 3,500 years ago. Here's the beginning of time. So there he anchors them with that. Not as allegories, not as mythological creatures, but these are real people. Now from there, go to chapter 2 and verse 3. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Onan Shelah. These were born to him by the daughter of Shua, the Canaanitess. Ur, the firstborn of Judah, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so he killed him. This is, this is interesting. Remember what he's doing. He's, ground, he's grounding them as they rebuild Jerusalem, and they have this fresh beginning. And he said, now, when wickedness occurred, God responded to it. Now, there's an abruptness here to, and he killed him. That's on purpose. He, he wants... He wants them to know that God is very serious about sin. Keep going. Here's chapter 4 and verse 10. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from the evil, that I might not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. God was merciful. God would answer prayers. Chapter 5 now, verse 20. What kind of God is he? um, Chapter 5, verse 20. And they were helped against them. The Hagarites were delivered into their hand and all who were with them, for they cried out to God in the battle. He heeded their prayer because they put their trust in him. Verse 22, for many fell dead because the war was God's and they dwelt in their place until the captivity. God works in historical events to save his people. Here's another case of war, and God blessed them because they prayed to him and were faithful to him. Look at this one now, chapter 5 and verse 25. They run faithful to the God of their fathers, played the harlot after the gods of the people of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So God, the God of Israel, stirred up the spirit of Paul, king of Assyria, 
that is Tiglath, Pilsar, king of Assyria. He carried the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh into captivity. He took them to Hala, Haber, Hera, and the river of Gozan this day. So who was it that brought in Assyria to take into captivity the northern kingdom? And the answer is God did it. God did it. What's the point here? The point is that you're, you're going back to rebuild Jerusalem, but you've got to figure this out. Get back to your history and remember that God had standards and requirements, and when people transgressed him and they went to be idolatrous, here was the consequence of that. Now, he was a merciful, and he is a merciful God. Here's your prayer. But you can't rebel against him. And if you do, here will be the consequence based on what he's already done. Here's the consequence based on the history. Here's chapter 6 now in verse 15. I've underlined several parts of this one in my Bible. Jehozadak went into captivity when the Lord carried Judah and Jerusalem into captivity by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Now look at that and underline it. Who was it that brought the children of Israel into captivity? Who did that? And you say, well, wicked old Nebuchadnezzar did that. Powerful man. And he took them. Wait a minute. That's not what this says. Oh, it's true that Nebuchadnezzar did it, but... But who authorized him and emboldened him to do that was God Almighty. God did that. Now, again, what's the purpose? The purpose is to say, I want you to remember who your forefathers are. They're going back to Jerusalem now to rebuild it. They're going to rebuild the temple. They're going to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah is going to lead that. The point is, You've got to stand on solid ground. The point is that that you've got to be grounded as you launch into this rebuilding because if you don't, it'll all be for naught. Now, there are six things that I want to suggest to you that you and I learn from genealogies in the Bible, including this one. Six important lessons. And it's valuable because we need to be grounded just like they. It's it's valuable because it's, it's so fundamental. Number one, is that God is not going to be thwarted from his purposes. Now, here you have 3,500 years of history that's laid out before them in this genealogy. The Redeemer is going to be brought from this people, the Jews. And so you see that, that, that bloodline developed, the Jews, all the way through till you get to this point. It's about the Redeemer. You see the, the emphasis on the Davidic line. Why? Because it's about the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come. And it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. I mean, you, you think about these last 3,500 years from the beginning of time. You have the Noah and the flood. And then you, you have the, the sons of Jacob and all that that went on with Joseph. And so many times that you think, this isn't going to work. These people aren't going to make it. And then you have this mighty people of, of Israel, and you have the crossing of the Red Sea, and you have the dividing of the kingdom finally, and you have kings on both sides, and all the idolatry and wickedness to the point that God just turned them over to captivity. You say, it's not going to work. It's, these people, are not, they're, they're not going to be faithful to God. They're never, think about the, the, the judges, and the period of the judges, and all that, and you say, it's not going to work. All these crises, it's not going to work. But you get to this point where we are today, 3,500 years later, and that's what you have in the genealogy. When you get to the point where people are sitting down for the first time to read this genealogy, God's people still exist. Oh, they're small. The Bible calls it a remnant. But there was a day when Jesus, Jesus Christ was born, 
into this world miraculously. And there was a day in Acts, the second chapter, when based on the preaching of Jesus Christ, people were baptized and were added to his church. I'm telling you that God, God's never thwarted from his purposes. And it, it is a remarkable reality when you read this genealogy. That's true in your life. That's going to be true in mine. God will not be thwarted from his purposes. Second Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Will it? In which the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth, the works therein, shall be burned up. Is that going to happen? You suppose that will really happen? Seeing, this, these, seeing that these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Then you flip over to, to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 34. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, will he come? Is, is that going to happen? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then... He'll sit upon the throne of his glory. Before him shall be gathered all nations, and he will separate them. Will he? You suppose he'll, he will he do that? Separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Then you get to Hebrews 9, 27, and it's appointed. It is appointed that a man wants to die, and after that comes the judgment. Will it happen? Will it? What do you say to these people? And you say, from the genealogy, you draw this. God, historically provable, will not be thwarted from his ultimate purposes. And here's the second thing. You, you read this genealogy, and, and what will happen is it will change the way you live your life because it will reduce the stress that's brought on by trivia. And you don't have to think very hard to appreciate this fact. And I don't know if you struggle with this. I told Sandy driving over this morning that I really need this sermon in my own life. Because it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not easy to get this broad picture and let it reduce the stress in my life over trivia. How are you doing on that? In Alabama, we have an idiom um, that we use. It's grammatically incorrect. And this past week, I used it. I, I, something happened, and I used it in my mind. And I, I kind of laughed at myself because it just fit. It just fit what was happening. My neighbor, Jimmy, is elderly, lives across the street, good friend. We've lived in that proximity for many, many years now. And he lost his wife a couple of years ago. Jimmy uh, is a meticulous lawn keeper. That's what he does. He piddles out in that yard, and it's just beautiful out there. And his pickup truck, his pickup truck, I think it was made in the 90s. I don't know. It's an old truck now, but it is, it's beautiful. It's immaculate. He bought it practically new, and he'll tell you the story if you want to talk about that. And He's kept it in the garage, and, and he has never rebuilt the engine because it doesn't need it, because he cared for it so well, and his truck is just his pride and joy. And Last week, he wrecked it. I don't know what happened exactly. I just know that, that the front of that truck was tore all to pieces. Ambulances. I wasn't at home. I was, I was working, but when I came home, it was told to me. And so as soon as I saw somebody over there, I went over that night, and I went over the next day to say, How's Jimmy? How's Jimmy? And the answer was, he had a, he had a deflated lung, and, and they kept him in the hospital overnight and sent him home. He's okay. He's, they said, he's just as contrary as ever, so he must be all right. And, and as I was walking away from there, the gentleman who was there was looking at the truck that they had pulled with chains over to the driveway there, and it's still at his house. And I saw the mangled truck. As I walked away... I was thanking God that Jimmy was okay. 
And it occurred to me that Jimmy just prized that truck so much. And here's the idiom. It's Alabama, an Alabama idiom. And it is, it don't matter. That's exactly what I thought. The truck, the truck. But Jimmy was okay. It don't matter. It don't matter. Yesterday, I got the communique from Igor in Ukraine about what Paul was describing, about the bombing near the church building and their homes. And, and some pictures started coming back. Internet is still working. It was yesterday, so that was, that was a good thing. And I sent it around to the... We, we have a, an email circle for the elders and preachers. And so I sent it around. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but just in case you haven't, I knew they wanted to pray about this, and so sent it out. And Lewis wrote me back pretty quickly, and he said this. It makes my problems a mere inconsequence. I'm sorry, a mere inconvenience. It makes my problems merely inconveniences. I would suggest to you that that's what First Chronicles 1 through 9 does. And when you read through this and you think about the names and the number of generations that are here and, and that what really mattered was, was satisfying God's will, was living for God, when you see this and then you think about the minutiae that's stripped, why does my husband leave his socks on the floor all the time? You know, that's kind of embarrassing even say in view of the, this genealogy. That's hard to say. Or the traffic today, it was so bad and it kept me, it made me late for my meeting. And, and I, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to sometimes get involved in minutia, the stresses of minutia. But then we stand back and we have a loftier viewpoint and we look at the genealogy here or these kinds of genealogies in the Bible and we get the picture that God intended for us to have. What did God mean by this? What did, why is this even in the Bible? Here's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 25. And I'm convinced this is what Jesus had in mind or this sort of thing when he gave us this teaching. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Life is, life is so short. Our generation is just one in a, in a mass of thousands of generations. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worry can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor, toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, that sounds just so much to me like the genealogies. Look into history. Look to the history of God and look into the people of God. And, and when they did, did well and they pleased him, how he blessed them. And when they transgress and live contrary to him, look at what happens. Therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek people who don't have God. That's how they live. You should be different. For your heavenly Father knows what, that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Number three, 
We learn from the genealogy that ours is not the only generation. It's interesting that when you get to 1 Chronicles 16, 15, just a few pages over, reference is made to a thousand generations. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. And when you look at these first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles, you're amazed at the fact. How long is a generation? If you say 100 years, that's not really how it's calculated. It's calculated based on the, the, the amount of time between birth and having children. And, and it's, it's figured to be somewhere between 20 and 35 years. That's a generation. It's so easy for us to, to live and just feel like that, that ours is the only generation. Because it's just our, I mean, it's, it's all that we know. You say, I bought a piece of land. That's my land. Well, I'm thankful to be an American. I, I like the fact that you can hold deed to a piece of property, and that, that gives you permission to if whatever you want to do pretty much with that piece of property. That's your land. If you want to sell it, you can sell it. If you want to will it to your kids, well, have at it. That's, you get to choose that because you hold deed to that property. So long as America continues to be America, we get to do that. But realistically... There were lots of generations who lived on that property before you. You're just one. And when you read this genealogy in, in the First Chronicles 1 through 9, you get a feel for that. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Time is a, on this earth is a sweet possession. It just doesn't last all that long. That's not, a, that's not a word of pessimism. It's a word of realism. It's a word of grounding. And when you get the genealogy, don't you know that these people who read it the first time, these first nine chapters, don't you know that, that when they read through it, it was laborious. It's hard to do. But they remember some of these people. They remember because their mamas and their grandmamas taught them about these people, the history. And somehow you, you, you come away from that with this perspective about yourself. You're just a speck. We're, our generation is not, it's just one. It's just one out of all of these generations. And then you say, well, what's so, if, if we're so small, what, what's the meaning of life? What's so important? And the answer is, fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. That's what it's about. That this life that I live is really just a testing ground. That's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend a few years on this earth to decide whether or not I'm going to follow King Jesus or not. But genealogy provokes that thought in me. Here's number next. Genealogies will make us, in the Bible, will make us better parents. It gives us focus in our child rearing. I want you to appreciate the fact that, that, that God saw fit to make this genealogy live on after all these people are gone. It was, it was important to God, to the Holy Spirit, to produce this, this list, not only because it displays the seed line through which the Messiah would come, but because now these people coming in to rebuild Jerusalem, the, rebuild the temple and the walls, become a people again. They're going to be reminded. And in our lives, we do this, and I think we should do it. I think it's very important to to work in families, to work on your family tree. Don't you think the benefit is, is still there for us? I, I, I possess now 
documents and letters and photos, lots of photos of my ancestors in recent years. And ultimately, the two most important things that are going to live on will be the Word of God. It will outlive you. The bottom of Psalm 100 says, and his truth endures to all generations. Isn't that interesting? To all generations. And hopefully your children will outlive you. I want them to to remember. I want them to know who they are. I want them to remember where they came from. It'll make us better parents. I I would say that what it moves us to do is to be better Bible students, is to be more prayerful people, is to have a home more, more centered on Jesus Christ, to worship faithfully, to be kind and humble, to be like little children, Matthew chapter 18, to be what God would have us to be, and that Jesus should live in me because I've got children. If the chain of faithfulness of Christianity in my, my family line, if it will be broken after I live, and there will come a generation or more generations that forsake God, I want there to be an asterisk by my name. And when you get to the bottom of the page, what it says is, he did everything he knew how to do to raise his children in the Lord. I'm thinking like that today because of this genealogy. And I believe that's what it's for. Number next, it'll make us better grandparents. Now, this one gets pretty close to me. There, there are things that I want to leave behind for my grandchildren. Ezra has bright red hair. That's mine. He got that from me. If you think I'm embarrassed about that, you're mistaken. I'm, I'm rather proud of that. that. That hair is exactly the color that mine was all my growing up time. I want to leave Ezra and my other grandchildren something more important than red hair. I think it's a good idea for parents in view of the genealogies and our discussion today. I think it's really a good thing, grandparents, to, to, to get you a good hardback essay book, something with blank pages, and write the stories of your family, all that you can remember, write it down. You ought to make a genealogy as long as you can remember. And while the older people are living, you ought to get them to write it down, write things down. You say, well, maybe my grandchildren won't have that hobby. It's not a hobby, or it's just not, not just a hobby. It's about the genealogies. It's, it's about the principle of knowing what stone I was hewn from, knowing what pit I was dug out of. This is, this is where I came from. And that is 100% truer when you're talking about Christians. Christians. Whatever influence I've got over my grandchildren, and I don't know how much or little that is, but God help me, I want to use it. To help them grow up to be Christians. It is not one thing. It is the only thing. There isn't anything that comes close to this. There's no close second. And the reading of the genealogy like this. Will do that to you. It will awaken you to that reality. Here's 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9. And in David. David's talking to Solomon. And it's how we should feel. It's what we should do. We've got some grandparents in this room. Well, let's take this to heart. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart, with a willing mind. 
This ought to be in that book, the book that you produce with your genealogy and encouragements. Write letters to your grandchildren. They're going to throw a lot of things away before they, they get old, but they'll never throw this away. And after you're long gone, they're going to read these words. Know the God of your father and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches the hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. Right now, as you look through First Chronicles, the first nine chapters, just randomly choose a name in all the hundreds and hundreds of names. And imagine that that name is yours. And then I want you to think, how important is it that I use whatever influence I have to take my children and grandchildren home to heaven? Here's the last one. And this is obvious conclusion. It motivates us to serve God with all of our hearts. It's the one thing that really matters, and reading the genealogy gives me this perspective. And, and when you think about religion today and, and Christendom today, and, and the movement that is just so cool, it is just so with it to create entertainment-based worship because we like it more. Or, or to have lukewarm Christianity that says, this is good enough. How, much, how many times do I have to come to church if I'm a member in your church? or infidelity, all of these kinds of things that people foolishly try to offer to God. Somehow everything comes into focus. James 4 and 14, you don't know what shall be on the morrow for what is your life. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time then vanishes away. I want you to think about these, all these generations and, and then I want you to mind, your mind to waft back to to Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. And somebody approached Jesus. And this is kind of amusing a little bit. It's, it's sad and Jesus just pounced on it. But a man came to Jesus and said, Jesus, my brother won't divide the inheritance with me. I want you to fuss at him. You get on to him. You know how Jesus responded? First of all, he said, I'm not a judge between you and your brother. My, my hunch, by the way, is that his brother was probably the rightful owner of that inheritance. Otherwise, I don't know why this one would have been fussing. But he was fussing, and he wanted the inheritance. Incidentally, parenthetically, folks, there's an inheritance that Jesus was concerned about, but it wasn't that one. It's First Peter chapter 1, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. That's the one he's interested in. And Jesus' response to this was, you beware of covetousness. Because a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Live a good life this year. And do it in view of the genealogies like First Chronicles 1 through 9. <laughs> It'll affect the way that you live. I think I'd much rather buy a used car from a man who has studied the genealogies of the Bible and ingested them and thought about these principles. So we start a new year, and we start, we start the year with fresh grounding. And, and it's what 
God had in mind for the people of, of the Jews. You're going to go back to your own homeland from which you were removed because of your filthy idolatry. But now I'm bringing you back, a remnant back, a small number back, because I'm going to have a family through whom, through which, by prophecy, the Messiah will come. You rebuild the temple. Go ahead, rebuild it and the walls, and I'll be with you to do that. But before you do, I want you to read this. And that's First and Second Chronicles. I wonder if there's somebody here this morning who needs to obey the gospel. Maybe you've been studying about it and trying to make up your mind. Oh, I want to be a Christian. Am I ready to make a commitment to Jesus Christ? And I hope the answer is abundantly yes. Repent of your sins and confess Jesus and we'll baptize you this morning. Immerse you in water because that's what the Bible says. And we believe that God means what he says. And you'll be a Christian. The Bible says he'll add you to his church. On the other hand, if, you, if you're a member of the body, but you need the prayers of Christians, now would be such a good time. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.